Welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In with your hosts, D-Dub and Stratosphere. The Secret Lair Drive-In is dedicated to bringing you the finest in B-movie entertainment news and reviews. And now, on with the show. circumstances were to magnify one of them in size and strength, took it out of its primitive world and turned it loose in ours. Then expect something that's fiercer, more cruel and deadly than anything that ever walked the earth. Even science was stunned. The new atomic miracle should have been mankind's greatest boon. Instead, when such power to cause phenomenal growth proved dangerously unstable, man was confronted with his most shocking blunder. The isotope triggered our nutrient into a nightmare. A blunder that transformed a tiny insect into the hundred-foot spider that was now ravaging the panic-stricken countryside. Welcome to another long-delayed episode of the Secret Lair Drive-In. I am your host, your fearless leader, D-Dub. And sitting across the Wayback Machine from me is my partner and faithful acolyte, Stratosphere. Hi, kids. As you may have noticed, it's been a little while. You think? Yeah, well, like it's—I I mean, I checked. It's actually been over a year since we even posted a new episode, much much less recorded one. Well, you want to hear something even worse? I pulled out the old computer that I used to put everything onto. Okay. And I found the crack in the world episode. Oh wow! Which I probably just po- posted a little bit before this one. Wow. <laughs> 
I know everybody that listened to that one is thinking we're going to talking we're going to be talking about that steaming turd that was um, King Kong Lives, but no, we're not going to do that. We tried to do that with our uh, ascended fanboy Joe, and it kind of didn't work out. Were, were you able to record with him, or was... I did? I did do an episode of his show with okay. him. Okay, and yeah, we kind of talked about what we were going to be talking about. We went off in all kinds of different directions. Oh, so it was a good show then. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And for those of you keeping score at home, um, that would be Joe Iden. Uh, Joe's a longtime friend of the show. He does a show currently called Fandom Radio Podcast, where he'll take a, to- he'll take a topic and just kind of go with it. And in the case of this one, uh, we were talking about King Kong versus Godzilla. And yes, I know we had discussed, Strat and I had discussed that one. But it's always good to get a, a another opinion in there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Now, after a long delay, what's our contact information, Strat? That would be geeksexplainitall at gmail.com. Which would be correct if this was that show. <sighs> Oil can. <laughs> little rusty, folks. A little rusty. But that's all right. Uh, Secret Lair Podcast at... Um, Gmail. At gmail.com. Gmail. It's always Gmail, so... You know, it's all, and it's always fun, and I forgot just how much fun it is to see Strat get that deer in the headlights look in his face when we... Well, come on. Man. It's been a year. Give me, give oh, me come a little on. bit of slack. <laughs> Once upon a time when we did it like we are... Consecutive weeks, you still had the same thing. <laughs> no, I I'd gotten it down for for a while there because we were doing it pretty much er, like every like Tuesday. I think we were doing it for a while. Yeah. Or yeah. at least every other Tuesday. And uh, what can I say? D Dub and I have had a lot of lot of lot of stuff going on in our personal lives. I know that's no excuse, but we're well, just. Just to give you an idea, now I kind of had it together when I first started on this job after a while. You know, I had everything kind of figured out, and then they turned around and promoted me, which made my life even more hectic. (laughs) I guess it goes to show, no good deed goes unpunished? I think that would probably be a fair assumption. (laughs) But honestly... Um, it, between here, over, and honestly, as a manager, I'm kind of more like a glorified babysitter, let's be honest. Are you getting paid for it? Yeah. Then you're a really high-priced babysitter. <laughs> I'm sure there's actually another... Hey, as long as they leave food for you in the fridge and something good on the DVR, it's all good, man. <laughs> DVR, you know, since, since I'm... Since we moved to the new location and I have my office, I don't have cable or anything up in there. So most of the time what I'll do is I'll sit and just watch DVD or have DVDs playing while I'm going. And I've really taken to, I'm really starting to enjoy some of the old black and white classics. Such as? Such as this episode's film. Ah, nice segue. See? You still got it, folks. I'd like to say I planned that, but. It just popped into my head. Oh, come on. Keep the illusion going. I can't fib. So what is our cinematic masterpiece for this time? Well, 
maybe not quite a masterpiece, but this was. I got. I got to maybe get a little bit ahead of myself and say this was a fun movie. Uh, this is 1955's uh, classic Tarantula with Leo G. Carroll and John Agar and my new B movie girlfriend <laughs> Mara Corday. I gotta say, yeah, very fetching young lady. Well, you know that. Of course, in, she's you know old enough to be our well, mo- you know, mother by now. In addition to doing, she is still alive. Well, in addition to doing quite a few uh, B movies or horror films and that over the years, she also was a Playboy Playmate. I really? Say, I want to say it was nineteen. It was either fifty-four or fifty-eight. Yeah, I saw. I, I watched this movie. And then I checked her out on Wikipedia, and there was a bunch of other movies that she did, and I saw that I had at least one or two of them on the shelf, so um, I think she was in Oh, one of those, uh, like, collections of uh, 50 horror movies for eight bucks or something like that? Well, I picked up a couple of uh, pretty cool ones recently. Okay. And... um, like the one that had tarantula on it. It had a couple of other ones. I think it had um, Incredible Shrinking Man, and I cannot remember what the other ones were. There's all but, kinds of spider movies. Oh God, yeah, yeah, including the, the whole one, subgenre of of uh, giant monsters. <laughs> it's just spiders yeah. alone. Um, which we can t- talk about some of those later, but include included in that is one that. For a while, when I was watching this, I got the two movies mixed up, which we'll get into that. Okay. But, as always, the best place to start with these would be... The The Plot. plot. You see, I rambled on for so long there, he had to scroll back through it. A severely deformed man stumbles through the Arizona desert, falls and dies. Dr. Matt Hastings, a doctor in the nearby small town of Desert Rock... I love that name. Uh, is called in by the sheriff to examine the body at the local mortuary. Asked to define the cause of death, he finds himself perplexed. The deceased was someone he knew and had just seen recently, biological research scientist Eric Jacobs, whose deformity appears to be acromegalia. Acromegalia. Megalia. You want a great tarantula drinking game? Every time they say acromegalia, <laughs> drink up. But uh, it's a it's a bodily distortion which takes normally years to reach its apparent present state. Doctor Hastings asked to be allowed to perform an autopsy to clarify the diagnosis. The sheriff refuses, judging an autopsy unnecessary because there is no indication of foul play. And you know, I, I have to say something. The sheriff. It took me a long time to really figure out who this guy was. Okay. Um, now I know you're not a big creature fan. Not as much as you, but I have respect for the but, for the series. Um, the boat captain in Creature and Vengeance Creature. Oh, okay. Master, whatever. That's who the sheriff is? or That's who the sheriff oh, is. Oh, okay. And he also appeared in The Mole People. Wow. So he, he really had a heyday in the mid-50s there, because isn't that when the creature came out, like 55 or yeah. so? Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, he was a busy busy boy back then. And, you know, at least two of those movies were with John Agar. Okay. Who uh, a lot of people don't realize was... Um, he was married to um, Shirley, Shirley Temple. Temple. Yeah. Yep. Which I, I'm just like. I mean, he's a good-looking guy, but apparent, well, apparently, uh, 
personal life uh, had had some demons. So. Yeah, and I guess at one point she actually accused him of trying to get in the way of her political career or something. Really, I didn't. I didn't read that. That's very interesting. I just came across that somewhere. I can. I don't know. Hastings then approaches Jacob's colleague, Dr. Gerald Deemer, who more bluntly refuses permission, then signs Jacob's death certificate in lieu of Hastings with heart disease listed as the cause of death. <laughs> Bothered still by the an- anomaly and also by Deemer's abruptness, Hastings later drives to Deemer's combined home and research lab, located in an isolated mansion in the desert far from town. Which I'm just, I, I kind of looked at that and I'm like, okay, how the hell does he have water out there? I mean, I've been through the desert. There ain't no wells. <laughs> yep, and that horse didn't have any name. What's that? I said, and your horse didn't have any name. Yeah. Uh, Deemer apologizes for his hostility, blaming it on his grief. Then insists that Jacobs has developed, Here's the drinking game. Acromegalia. Acromegalia. Oh, and it it sounds so much better in Leo G. Carroll's uh, British accent, too. (laughs) Acromegalia. Oh, dude, here's... I'll I'll say this right now. We do, do like, a modern-day update of this. You get Sean Connery to do it. Imagine him. Acromegalia. Money, penny. We meet again, Trebek. (laughs) I'll take S-words for 200. He cannot offer an, an explanation, but attempts to convince Hastings that this was only an anomaly, not a result of anything sinister. Hastings appears to accept his this apology. After Hastings leaves, Deemer goes to his closed lab, where huge cages containing white rabbits and mice, some of enormous size... Deemer examines each of the oversized specimens, noting when each last received an injection and how many each has had altogether. Okay, but I, I, I have to say something about this. Okay. All right. When he picks up each individual clipboard and looks at it, he seems to be studying it intently. Yeah. There's only like four lines on each one. Yeah, there's... It just says like day one, day two... There's there's no initials, there's no signatures or anything. It's like, right. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree that that part of it was like, okay, you think this is dramatic? It's not really as dramatic as you think. Um, I read real good. Uh, I got a diploma on the wall. Then he turns to observe a glass-fronted inset in the back wall as a different sort of specimen slides into view inside. A tarantula about the size of a large dog. (laughs) And I gotta say, kudos for the special effects. Again, we're talking 1955. Doing it like that with the... I mean, it's obviously a rear projection screen. But it really held up for me as as a special effect. Yeah, that part did. Okay, well, let's... Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Well, I'm, no, I'm just agreeing. Yes, that part did hold up very well. Okay. As Deemer finishes his observations of this creature, a second deformed man appears, attacks Deemer, and begins destroying the lab. Now, i got to say, remember seeing this uh, when I was a kid? Used to be a big one on the Ghoul, local here in uh, Cleveland. Okay, yeah. He used to run this about every six months. And the thing... Ow, ow, ow! The thing with with me watching the ghoul though was that, you know, half the time, yeah, you know, I'm a kid. I, I I sleep 
when I sleep, I sleep hard, like mm-hmm. like most kids do. And half the time on Saturday night, it was a challenge just to stay awake throughout the, throughout the movie. Yeah. And the the problem that I had was that I would fall asleep for like 20 minutes in the middle of the movie, and then realize I was asleep, and then wake up. And I remember when I was a kid thinking that the second guy was actually the first guy brought back to life. It wasn't until watching this a few days ago that I was like, oh my god, there's two guys. I totally had missed that plot point. you guys? Yeah. As Deemer finishes his observations of this creature, a second... Okay, no, I said that part. I can talk. During this rampage, the lab catches fire and the glass covering the tarantula's cage is shattered. The man grabs a hypodermic that Deemer was preparing, knocks him out, and injects him with the contents. As flames and electrical sparking rage over the lab, the arachnid escapes outdoors, and the deformed man collapses and dies. Deemer regains consciousness, grabs a fire extinguisher, and puts out the fire. That night, Deemer calmly buries the body of his assailant, whom he has recognized from the first attack as his other assistant, Paul Lund, in the desert. And the fact that they mention that it's an arachnid, that's, um, well, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, remind me something about arachnid later, uh, because th- there was a plot point later on that I, I was kind of, it, it actually threw me out of the movie for a second. Okay. The, fo- the following day, the intercity bus brings a newcomer to town, a young, beautiful woman who is expecting to be met by Dr. B, Dr., I keep wanting to say Dr. Beamer, because <laughs> doctors drive Beamers. Told by the hotel clerk that she will have to wait until the only taxi in town returns from a mission. (laughs) She accepts a ride from Dr. Hastings, who again, going to Deemer's place, who is again going to Deemer's place, and is apprised of her plight. She introduces herself to him as Stephanie Clayton, nicknamed Steve, who has signed on to assist in the lab to replace Paul Lund as part of her doctoral degree program. And that's the lovely Mara Cordray. That's right cute little bait like faux baseball hat she has on yow not not to mention the skirt uh when they arrive at the mansion deemer tells them that the fire was caused by an equipment malfunction he indicates that all the animals were killed in the fire and explains that lund has already left his employ as steve's contract stipulates that she live in dr deemer's residence really Dr. Hastings leaves her there with her suitcases. Steve begins working in the lab and proves to be a capable lab assistant. A couple of days later, Dr. Hastings finds a mystery has arisen, involving clean-picked cattle carcasses and pools of a thick white liquid up to eight feet in diameter when the sheriff calls on him for help. Unbeknownst to anyone, the cause is the tarantula, now the size of Deemer's mansion, which is hungrily beginning to ravage the countryside. Now, that's the part I wanted to mention. Okay. At one ahead. point, there, you know, he's he's looking at the uh, the what turns out to be venom, and okay, first thing he does is taste it, which I, I that that just has a a plot hole, you know, that you could drive a Buick through. Well, come on, how many of those old seventies uh, drug drug movies where you know, the cop would the cop would find the cocaine and stick his finger into it and taste it. Well, okay, cocaine, that little bit of uh, amount wouldn't uh, wouldn't really cause that much of a reaction. But 
another thing that they've done that's similar is when it's PCP. Now, PCP, a little taste, that'll dose you. That that okay. will make you go crazy, and and you know they're you know, they're always like, oh god, it's PCP. First of all, what? How do they train these guys? Okay, you're gonna taste this, and you're gonna like act like a, com- a complete savage for like about six hours. Remember that taste because that's PCP, <laughs> and it's just crazy. And the other thing is. Uh, when when the lab results come back, and it may, it may mention this, is that it it came it's insectoid in nature, and it's like no insects and arachnids are two completely different things. Well, keep in mind, fifties audience, this thing was probably made for the drive-in, to where oh, this would have been a great drive-in. But but I will say, I'll give them credit. It's one of the few giant monster genres that doesn't bring the nuclear thing or somebody trying to take over the world thing that you know the professor is actually trying to do something you know to benefit humanity and it just well, backfires but, but so many of them think automatically that they're trying to do something to you know these scientists they never think anything's going to go wrong yeah that's true they're mad you know i'm not mad i'm just a little perturbed okay the next night, a horse rancher is killed by the spider outside his stable, and later a pickup truck is flipped by the tarantula in order to get at the two men outside. I love these things. Crunchy on the outside, chewy on the inside. <laughs> elsewhere still, elsewhere still, still, two hobos trying to enjoy a meal and a smoke on the open range are chased and killed. While this carnage is occurring... Hastings has decided to pay a call on Steve, explaining that Deemer has been acting and looking ill recently and gone to bed. She shows Matt what they have been working on, the use of radioactive elements to produce... Okay, I guess there is a little bit of radioactivity. uh, To produce an artificial supernutrient, which, once perfected, could provide an unlimited food option for humanity. She shows Matt some of the giant lab animals created just since her arrival as an unintended side effect of the nutrient. And this is part where the logic breaks down a little bit for me because, okay, you're just creating bigger creatures, so aren't they going to need more food, not less? Perhaps, but... Or or are they going to raise, like, big... I think perhaps what he was going for, and I... What he was going for, and I could be wrong on this, maybe he's just thinking if he could grow larger animals... That's what I was thinking, is he's going to grow, like, super cows or something like that, you know? That'd be a heck of a a huge T-bone. Oh, yeah. That T-Bone's a porterhouse, my friend. That'd be one of those things that you see at the Texas uh, restaurants that, that can barely cover the plate and cost $80, but if you can eat the whole thing in one sitting, you get it for free. Yeah. I... <laughs> see, back in my prime, I could have done that. Now it's like, uh, it was one of the ways uh, I actually first made inroads with my mother-in-law because she couldn't stand me at first but the fact that i had a good appetite and lo- and the woman's an amazing cook so she used to feed me like three or four plates of oh, stuff okay yeah and, and it was great food now she she's back to feeling insulted because now i mean i've been with my wife for 22 years i can't eat that much at one sitting anymore so i only take like a plate and a half and she's like well what's wrong with it what's wrong with it and i keep trying to tell her that no it's just can't eat that much anymore. Well, you can always use the one I use. I'm just trying to watch my boyish figure. 
Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. Uh, she shows... Uh, she shows Matt some of the giant lab animals created just since her arrival as an, un an unintended side effect of the nutrient. Suddenly, Deemer appears furious. He balls out Steve for revealing secret work and orders Matt to leave. Before he goes, he notices there are some subtle changes in Deemer's appearance as well as in his demeanor. Following day at the destroyed horse ranch, Hastings once again appears at the request of the sheriff and finding again pools of the strange li thick liquid decides that analysis of this substance might solve the mystery. He takes a sample, again, tasting it, which, okay, even, I'm just sorry, you're a doctor, you have no idea what this stuff is, let's taste it, sure. Well, you know, just, just thinking about it, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where um, at the opening scene, Mm -hmm. Where they find the darts in the in the thing, the one guy pulls it out, tastes it, and goes poison. Um, Alfred Molina. Oh, okay, right. I don't know. <clears throat> Who incidentally was actually very good. I started watching um, Feud, Betty and uh, Joan. Oh, really? Is any good? I like it, but uh, he's, he's pretty the crap out of it. So I'm kind of like. Mm. He's pretty good in it. I mean, he's a pretty good actor anyway. Right? Yeah, I've seen him in a few things. He's he's quite good. Uh, let's see. He takes a sample and flies it to the university in Phoenix, where Dr. Townsend determines that it is tarantula venom, only in such a quantity that only a monster spider could produce. After viewing a film prepared by Townsend, showing the predatory ferocity of a normal tarantula... He phone calls Dr. Deemer, but is told by Steve that he has become even more ill and is again in bed. He again appears behind her, this time hanging up the phone. Matt thus hastens to his airplane and flies quickly back to Desert Rock. So, Hastings hastens. Sure. I'll, I'll buy that. For and, a and Deemer drives a Beamer. Or not, I don't know. Upon arriving there, he drives to the Deemer mansion where he finds Deemer severe, say it with me, Acromegalic deformities, <laughs> rapidly settle, settling in, uh, and he's under the care of Steve as he knows he is nearing death. He divulges all he knows about the nutrient's effect on humans and animals and tells of Lund's death. Matt then returns to town to brief the sheriff on what he has learned from Dr. Townsend at the mansion. As night falls, the tarantula comes to the mansion. Deemer is killed but Steve escapes when Hastings returns by car. That And that's, I gotta say, that's a great sequence where the tarantula basically... Is on top of the house? Is on top of the house, and basically the whole thing freaking collapses. You know, the the bad, the worst part of it, though, is where they would show um, the close-ups of the tarantula's eyes and the thing, and his, um... Oh, mandibles? mandibles. Yeah. I mean, that, well, the, uh, okay, yeah, the, the part where Steve is, like, getting ready for the night, and there's a big spider uh, at the window. That was sort of unintentional comedy, or maybe it was intentional. I, I don't know. I, I'm maybe just, just trying to lighten it up as you wait for Clint Eastwood to make his move. Oh, okay, good. I'm, I'm glad you... Okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Where am I at? The house is getting attacked. Yes, the house is getting attacked. The tarantula pursues them down the highway toward the town. The sheriff and his men intercept the pursuit... But their guns don't phase the tarantula. Hastening to town, they gather dynamite. Because 
every every town in you know the in uh, where the Arizona does this take place? We'll go with that. Okay, you know, dynamite is is just standard issue. Well, from all the silver mining way back when. Oh, okay. Head cannon accepted. Good deal. Um, but a blast big enough to blow up the highway doesn't phase the monster either. As they complete a hasty evacuation of the town, the Air Force, summoned by the sheriff, arrives in the form of a jet squadron led by... Clint Eastwood. Francheros. <laughs> I've been waiting to use that joke. Um, which launches a napalm attack, successfully incinerating the monster at the town's edge. The end. I got, gotta say... I was really impressed with how much I enjoyed this movie. I, I said I kind of remembered from from watching it as a kid. I mean, you you know I have I might have a big thing about creepy crawlies, so yeah. maybe, maybe I was just just blotting it out or something like that. But boy, I'm watching this thing, and a lot of times when we have these movies, I'll watch like 10, 15 minutes, and then maybe if I get a little bored, I'll you know go, I'll check email or whatever and and then go back to it i i basically got this thing uh accomplished in like two two sittings so i i well, thought I, that was pretty good i watched it i want to i think i watched it twice okay i watched it the, the first time when i first got the dvd and then when we figured out we were going to do it i turned around and watched it a second time okay actually paid a little bit more attention um, certain things like where um, Leo G is having his acromegalia. The, the makeup on his face is actually kind of clever, where he's almost got like the gigantism thing going on, but well, it still looks like G- Leo G. Carroll, just an exaggerated version. It's it's weird because yeah, it look it looks like Leo G. Carroll, but like his face is melting. I guess would probably be the like in slow motion. And, and yeah, it was actually pretty well done considering what they were going for. They well, they did it in a subtle way. They didn't just have him, you know, a la you know the fly. Suddenly, he's just wearing a ton of makeup. Right. Every time they show him, they increase the makeup to the point where okay, you you definitely see the progression of this this disease or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, really nice uh, usage of the the night shots. I think uh, lead it, to me that made it, it 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 made the spider more scary when you could see less of it. We talked about this when we reviewed them. The the less you can see, it's oh, the sure. Jaws effect. The less you can see, the more scary it is. I think the the shots of the spider when they're showing it like at night or at at twilight, I think they're much more effectively scary than the shots of it in broad daylight. Mainly because you can't see the Okay, I don't know what it was called back then, but the green screen. Okay. You know, a lot of I, I'm not I don't know if they had green screen or if I it think was they re- used rear blue, projection. It's either rear projection or I think they actually did use a blue screen. Okay. Because um, that sort of technology goes way back. Because the original uh, Invisible Man. Right. They had Claude Rains wearing um, black velvet in front of a black um, a black backdrop. Oh, okay. Interesting. And that's how they got where, like, the clothes would be floating or whatever. Okay. And then they would superimpose that onto the regular scene. Oh, okay. Like I said, I I just thought it was really, for 
we say this all the time, but for a 1955 film, this was one of the best giant, uh, it giant bug pictures. I, I would say it's probably the best. Um, you know, them, them was effective, but when you see like the close up shots, you know, it's obvious yeah. it, it was a puppet earth versus the spider. I caught a little bit of that. It's available on YouTube as, as is tarantula. And I gotta say, this is the better of the two movies by far. That was the one that I kept getting. I got the two mixed up in my head. Okay. Because I remember in Earth versus a Spider, there's a scene where, like, there's a spider web or, or a strands of spider silk across a road, and it ends up uh, somebody drives into her, gets decapitated or something. Okay. And I got that the two mixed up, and then you know at some point I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think tarantulas spin webs, do they? Perhaps, well, I don't know. I thought they showed that in that little, the little educational film I that he put remember. together. But, um, well, the Earth versus the Spider, I think, is the lesser of the two because they really, if I recall, I didn't sit through it again, although we could do that for a future uh, episode. Uh, I don't think they offer any real explanation of why the hell the damn thing is so big. It's just in a cave and it's big. Ooh. <laughs> You know, and I, I'm right, just, right. whereas whereas um, Tarantula, again, yeah, they they touched on the the radiation thing briefly, but it's not okay. Another example of, of okay, you have them. Another one that's probably arguably one of the worst of of the the big bug uh, pictures of that era, beginning of the end, with the grasshoppers. Do you remember that one? You know, I, just on a completely unrelated thing, just to show how my mind works, I was going through my head trying to remember what the other movie I watched with Mark Cordray in it. Okay. The Giant Claw. Oh, okay. God. Which, okay. I haven't if, seen that in If you take forever. out the ridiculous-looking creature, yeah, it's not bad. Okay. <laughs> you know what? There's a lot of movies like that. Um where yeah, once you get, I mean, hell, a lot of the kaiju that we, uh, uh, you know, some of them, the the plot line is actually not too bad, and then you see the the cheesy effects, and it's like, oh my god, this is terrible. Actually, actually, completely unrelated thing. I actually started uh, watching uh, Tokyo SOS. Okay. It's like, God, the 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 storyline of that is just like watching paint dry. In my opinion, I mean, we, we we could do that for a future episode, but I have a whole bunch of stuff on the DVR. They had uh, uh, El Rey Network had the Kaiju Christmas. Oh, okay. And even though I have a lot of these um, that I had downloaded, I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna record that on the DVR, and I got like about ten movies on the DVR. And if I'm part of for something, okay, let's watch that. And I started watching Tokyo SOS the other day, and it's like. Yeah, it's it's got Mothra, Godzilla, and there was another. This is how boring it was. <laughs> just, just didn't even do much for me. So, um, okay. oh, so sorry. And um, uh, of course, you know, we we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that uh, the, this movie, if nothing else, lives on in infamy as being mentioned in the Rocky Horror Picture Show opening song. That's right. Leo G. Carroll was over a barrel when Tarantula took to the hill. That's right. So, for those of you that uh, 
are Rocky Horror fans, that's what the hell they're talking about. At least in... The, the, I can't figure out... Well, Yeah, the I rest know, of the movie, we don't know what the hell I they're mean, talking about. The Over the Barrel, that's easy, because they're talking about... Or, um, it just rhymes. Oh, yeah. But, and uh, they did kill the tarantula on the hill. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And... Uh, okay, now that I'm thinking about it, there okay. is another thing that just... I, I, I just amazed. All right. The doctor and Steve are driving in the desert. Right. In a convertible. Top down. They drive through this stretch of road and go one, two, three. Giant translator goes across the road. Yeah, and they don't see it. They don't see it. They don't see it in a rear view, side view. Nothing. I thought there was a little bit of a dramatic license there. I also had a, it was a little bit Unless of... you think like that line from the uh, Gumball Rally where you had this Italian driver. Okay. Who says the first rule of Italian driving? And he rips off the rearview mirror. What is behind us is not important. <laughs> well, that could be. I, I I don't recall if it had a rearview mirror. Uh, another thing, now that now that you mentioned that, that it would it was inattention to detail is uh, the fact that the okay as you said they're driving through the desert driving this uh, you know real nice convertible that is in cherry I won't. Yeah, I agree. I won't go top of the top. Very Sorry. pleasantly surprised, though. Yeah. I, I went in expecting to just be rolling my eyes, and only rolled my eyes a few times. A few. Most of it, I was just. I was kind of. This is. This is actually good narrative, reasonably good acting, special effects for the time. Oh yeah. Much. I just. Uh, yeah, it just. It was enjoyable. The actors were enjoyable. It just was missing that little something, and I can't quite put my finger on it to really put it where it needed to be. I don't know if it was so much missing anything. Like I said, to me, the few little plot holes that we've already talked about were kind of what just just took the edge off for me. If if they had, gotcha. if it was a little bit better written, I feel they could have worked through that. And uh, you know, it is what it is. So, oh, I gotcha. Don't mind me. I was just looking. I was just looking at something on the wall back there. Oh. We're trying to see someone. Alive. I know. There's a lot to see here. It's like a museum, but you can touch things. Uh, all right. So we're going to go. Um... All right. Once again, let's kick out that contact information. Okay. What, what did we agree on the uh, rating, Greg? Craptastic. 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 I, I think solid craptastic. I couldn't think of, I couldn't think of it off the It's top been of a me. while. <laughs> Have to dust off the brain cells as well as the microphones. Yeah. Well, they're brand new microphones. Got, got. 
Thank you, honey, for my for my Christmas present. If you're listening, which I know you're not. Okay, so uh, contact information: secretlayerpodcast at gmail dot com. That's right, and look for us on Beyond Pod, iTunes. The three of us out there still have a Windows phone. Uh, you know, you can get it through that. There's no shortage of ways to do it. Yeah. And once again, uh, do you want to mention our buddy Joe's show, Fandom, F-A-N-D-O-M, Radio Podcast. Very good. All right. And with all that being said, what is our film for next time? Next time we're going to be uh, doing, going to move up a decade or so. We're going to be doing um, Fantastic Voyage with Stephen Boyd and Raquel Welch. Yep. And it always had the great tagline when they'd show it, um, they'd show it in Cleveland. Imagine having Raquel Welch under your skin. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Easy, but it works for me. And so, this is D-Dub. And Stratosphere. Saying, go watch a B-movie. And why? Because these movies won't watch themselves. Bye, folks. Later, kids. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.